So we've already mentioned this morning that we're heading into Peace Month. We're using that term loosely because it's actually going to be Peace Month and a half or so. Um, because of the way that Lent falls this year and just thought we have enough things to say about this that will take more than just the month of January to talk about it. The things that we do every year as part of the church calendar like Christmas and Easter and Senior Sunday and Thanksgiving and so forth. And sometimes, uh, a lot of the time actually, uh, the team will sit and say, what can we possibly say about this that we haven't already said? And yet, every year as we go through those rhythms, we go, this is important. It's important to remember this stuff. It's important to take the time to acknowledge these things, even though we did it last year. It's sort of like birthdays, they're kind of an annual thing. And a lot of times, I need these reminders. I need to be recentered into these thoughts. And Peace Month at North Valley has become that kind of thing. Um, we started doing it originally because we were part of Northwest Area Meeting, and they did a Peace Month in January, and we joined in with that, and we've continued that rhythm since then. And it feels to me like we need this marker, this reminder, that it's part of what we're compelled and called to be as the people of God, to be people of peace. Now, all that said, when I first started looking at the scripture that says specifically, this is who you're supposed to be as the people of God, I was surprised to find that those really specific passages that we normally go to don't talk about peace at all. So the two, the two that we use a lot, the first one is Micah 6.8, which is one of the places in scripture where it says really specifically, look, this is what you're supposed to do. I think that's why it's so significant to us, is that Micah is really direct in in bringing God's voice along to say the Lord God has told us what is right and what God demands see that justice is done let mercy be your first concern and humbly obey your God so those are the, you know, if you have to pick a passage in the Old Testament and say what does God expect, this is a pretty good one because it says this is what God expects the other one we go to a lot, uh, and it also makes sense is Jesus talking in Matthew 22 Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and most important commandment. And the second most important commandment is like this one. And it is love others as much as you love yourself. All the law of Moses and the books of the prophets are based on these two commandments. It's not that peace or shalom as the Hebrew refers to it, a wholeness of the world, is not something that Scripture is concerned about. Let's be clear about that. But it's to say that's not one of the first commandments. And now, a lot of you may have been wondering about this statement. Some of you have said, uh, this is uh, an ironic slide for you because that number of numbers looking like that has nothing to do with peace in your mind and in fact causes the opposite. So, some of you that are more math-minded that understand this better than I do recognize that this is a formula for a derivative. So this is sort of a clever play on pieces derivative. At least I thought it was clever. Um, and when I say derivative, I recognize that derivative sometimes has sort of a negative connotation. That like, oh, it's sort of secondary, or it's sort of like copying something else and maybe not even that well. But it seems to me it's important for us to recognize that peace happens when we do what God asks us to do. So God asks us to treat other people well. God asks us to do justice. God asks us to love mercy. God asks us to walk humbly. 
And when we do those things, peace is a result. And the more of us that do them, the more likely peace is a result. It's interesting, this passage from Matthew, we forget that Jesus isn't the first person who says these words. Jesus is actually quoting, love the Lord your, your God with your whole heart, soul, and mind. He's quoting uh, in part from Deuteronomy 6, where Moses tells the people, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe them, these laws, um, so that it may go well with you. I love that phrase. I think about it in my own parenting of my son, B. Do these things so that it may go well with you. It kind of amuses me a little bit. And to think of God saying that to the people of Israel who, you know, eventually completely ignore him and it doesn't go well with them. Uh, it seems like a really important phrase about why is it that we do what God asks us to do so that it may go well with us. That seems important. The vision is subsequently expanded through the Old Testament. If we look at Isaiah and uh, one of our favorite Quaker painters, maybe because there's not very many Quaker painters. Uh, this peaceable kingdom, which is based on the words in Isaiah 11. This idea that the whole world might be at peace. It's a huge vision for what might occur, what the greatest hope is. Entirety of the world, the entirety of humanity, the entirety of creation in harmony with one another. And if we're to take a step back and make an assessment, I think we can pretty easily say that hasn't worked out. At least not in the ways that we would most hope. There's examples pretty much every year and have been for all the years that I know of, of war, of climate not being treated well, the way we treat each other even in our simplest of relationships. It doesn't necessarily line up well with loving one another and loving God or doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly. I would also take a moment to say, just sort of as a side note, that when we watch the news, that may not be the best measure of what's really happening in the world. And to me, that's heartening to remember that the things that are newsworthy are usually newsworthy because they grab our attention and they're extraordinary not just the ordinary. And there's a lot of places that there's a lot of love and good things that are happening in our world. So of all the things I'm saying this morning, please don't hear that we're in a hopeless spot or that nothing good ever happens. But it does seem like this idea of working to do what God wants us to do in order that there might be peace is kind of a critical thought. It's probably fair to say that most, much of what goes on in the world that isn't peace that the world suffers through is because we, the collective we, are not being particularly faithful to what God calls us to. We're maybe not consistently doing a good job of loving other people as we would love ourselves. Maybe we're not doing a very good job of loving ourselves. Maybe the ideas of working for justice and mercy and doing that with humility is not the top priority in our lives. This particular statement that's up on the screen, no Jesus, no peace, which sometimes also is accompanied with the N-O version of no, no Jesus, no peace, seems pretty trite and unhelpful to me if we see it 
as a slogan for imperial evangelism. If we see this as a manipulative leverage to say, well, if you don't believe what I believe, then you're never going to be at peace. If we see this as a, a statement that we have to ideologically agree with. But if we see this as a way of life, as an alternative paradigm, then knowing Jesus means that we love other people, that we do justice, that we love mercy, that we walk humbly. I'm mindful that Jesus says to, in one of the kind of weirdest places, you're my friends if, I do what, if you do what I tell you to, which to me seems like a really bad basis for a friendship. But I think the point that Jesus is trying to make is you're about what I'm about if you do what I say we should be about. And maybe knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus is part of the way that we approach these things. Knowing Jesus means to love justice and to do mercy and to love other people. Now that said, there's a lot that's going on that's maybe too much for us to solve. Look at all the things. And there are a lot of things. And I think if we were to sit and break them all down, we can go back and say, the reason all these things aren't going well is because people are not loving other people like they should. It goes against the heart of what God most wants from us. In a sense that we, collectively we, have been willing to ignore what is sacred. Willing, in other words, to desecrate what God has created. Willing to make unsacred what God considers sacred. That's true of the way that we treat the earth as a commodification. That we can use it as we want to without consequence. And it's true often of how we choose to treat each other. It seems to me that we're often willing to commodify or dismiss or other much of what is sacred around us. And we live in systems that perpetuate these ways of being. Our culture values people in money. It seems like an odd way to value people, doesn't it? This person is worth this much an hour or this much a year for the job that they do. And the first thing we ask one another is, so what do you do? By which we mean, what do you do for money? Maybe that's a way of looking past what's sacred about us. And we can become disheartened by this. And when I say disheartened, and that word caught me after I wrote it. Hmm, disheartened, that's not a word I think about a lot. But it takes the heart out of me. It takes the wind out of my sails. It makes me feel like profoundly discouraged by the negativity. And that often means that I feel pretty disenfranchised, that there's not much that I or we in this room can do about all these things that are going on. Yet that seems to me when I stop and consider the opposite of what God intends to do in our lives. We're called to seek justice and do mercy and love those around us, not because those actions are single-handedly single going to change the whole world, 
though they might do some good for that. But because doing those things is the way things will go well with us. It's what it means to be whole and right, to be about living life as God calls us to. I'm grateful to be part of a tradition that, while it hasn't always gotten it right, has a sense of some kind of antidote to this desecration that we see. Friends have believed almost from the beginning that there was that of God, there was that that was sacred in everyone. And that there is no separation between the sacred and the secular. That God isn't at all. Harvey Gilman, a weighty British friend, said, For a Quaker, religion is not external activity concerning a special holy part of the self. It is an openness to the world in the here and now with the whole of the self. In short, to put it in traditional language, there is no part of ourselves, of our relationships, where God is not present. And so we need to remember as we talk about peace and we talk about the things that lead to peace, we're not talking about an idea that is out there somewhere or something that is separate from our faith tradition or convictions. Working for peace in holistic ways is at the core of who we believe God is calling us to be. Our dedication to work for justice and mercy, to love God and our neighbor in humility, is not something disconnected or trivial to our work for peace. They are one and the same. Teddy Roosevelt said, do what you can with what you have where you are. And that seems like particularly sound advice. Remember when I was a kid, my dad would often say to me, be where you are. And I would think, what do you mean? And now I understand what dad meant. It seems like pretty good advice for life in general, but also for peace and peacemaking. When we think of the story of Jesus calling us to love our neighbor, which is a really tangible way to love justice and love mercy and walk in humility, with the Good Samaritan. According to that parable, our neighbor is whoever's in front of us. It's who we're around. It's right where we're at. It's in the middle of our lives. Now maybe it's not fair to say that God's call on our lives in this way is practical. At least not in the sense that it fits our societal norms or keeps us out of uncomfortable places. But maybe we can say that it's pragmatic. Do what's in front of you. Be faithful in the time and place that you are in. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly, love God and others right where you are. Do what you can, not what you can't. And in that, we're called to trust that God's faithfulness through us will also move us to the next step of faithfulness. I think part of what is so hard, maybe you could even say insidious, about the nature of the desecration of the sacred, and particularly in the desecration of what we have to offer, is the devaluing of our contribution. 
that our sense that we cannot have the agency to help create shalom. And part of, I think, what we need to encourage each other to is that what we do matters. That what God can do through us matters. I say that as somebody who struggles with this all the time. I was talking to a couple friends and saying, if I, if I could fix the homeless problem in Portland, just a little bit, right? If I could fix that, I still would not feel like I'd done enough. Because there'd still be homeless people in Vancouver and Newburgh and Seattle and, 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 and. But if I have that attitude, I can never receive what God's trying to do through me. I can't celebrate the goodness of what God's doing through me if I feel like my responsibility is to fix everything. And I catch myself doing that kind of thing and say, I can't keep doing it. I do keep doing it, but I can't keep doing this. Part of the problem of our cultural paradigm is that we're just cogs in the wheel, replaceable parts of the system with little impact or little influence. And yet that stands directly against what we know that Christ speaks into our lives, that we are sacred and holy, that we are the beloved of God. John says in 1 John 3, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And I would suggest that this imperative isn't only about love, but it's about our conviction to be God's people. Let's not just talk about it. Let's do something about it. Let's make our actions reflect this. Let's do this with authenticity every day in our ordinary lives. Which kind of sounds a little bit like something else Paul wrote. Take your ordinary life and give it as a gift. Because honestly, our everyday ordinary lives is all we do have to give. The agency we have to work towards peace and shalom is in our jobs and in our relationships and with our families with our communities, the people we know. The places we're seeking for peace need to be within ourselves and within the context we live our lives. So over this next six weeks or so, we're going to tell some stories about people who've done this well, or sometimes not well, uh, kind of depending on which one we look at. But to notice that there's people who have been faithful to live out these kind of lives and that what they've offered has made a real difference in the world. Things that maybe we even take for granted now that before we couldn't have. Encourage us to be thinking about the ways that our ordinary lives either have places of opening to be doing justice and loving mercy and loving others in places where we feel blocked. This is work that we do together. So friends, let's take some time to listen this morning. Maybe something has caught your heart. We have a few queries. And if they're helpful, let's use them. If they're not, ignore them. How are you or we called to love God and love our neighbors?
Where are you or we specifically called to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly? How are you or we called to trust that our faithfulness is enough to be at peace that God is at work beyond us? So friends, let's take some time to listen. Maybe the Holy Spirit has a message to you this morning, and maybe just to you. Please be attentive to it. Or if that's a message for a couple other folks that you need to give to them at another time, please be attentive to that as well. If you have a message for all of us this morning, please stand and the mic will be brought. Zoom folks, uh, the speaker's on if you have things that you feel compelled to share. Let's listen to Christ together, friends.